the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. As a quote from Brendan Manning, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is when an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. This sermon is going to come hard and fast this morning because our scripture comes at us hard and fast this morning. Over the last few weeks, we have been reading through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've been through it in the context of a sermon series called, I Literally Can't Even. Many of the instructions, many of the commands, the bulk of the teachings that Jesus gives in this sermon are incredibly hard for us to live out in real life. Jesus is laying down a gauntlet here that is next to impossible, if not outright impossible, for us. And yet, the Easter gospel is that Jesus makes possible the impossible, and we approach these teachings with the hope that we can live them out. And these teachings have gotten harder and harder as we've gone on. We started out looking at what it means to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Then we were called to not get angry, to not lust, and to be trustworthy. Last week we saw that we are called to not resist an evildoer, to give to all who ask and to love our enemies. Each week the teachings have gotten harder and harder. But within them we can see a certain logic. We can see how they are good advice. You see, these, these things, yes, they are hard to consistently put into practice, but if we could, we can see how it would benefit us. After all, being exemplars of goodness, being calm and peaceful, being charitable, being loving, these are virtues. And the more we can lean into and live into these virtues, the more we can lean into and live into the teachings that Jesus, the things that Jesus tells us to do, the better our lives and our souls will be. This is fairly self-evident, and that's why this part of the gospel is often looked at as Jesus being a good moral teacher. Even those who do not profess the divinity of Jesus, who do not see him as their Lord and Savior, can find something to like and agree with in the Sermon on the Mount. But this week, our scripture is pretty bad advice. This week, our scripture is not helpful in trying to live a better life. Now, I know it's wrong, even blasphemous, to say that the words of Jesus are bad advice. But let's take a look at the text, and then I'll let you decide. Matthew 6 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. 
They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So all along, I have taken with, I have taken with the, the, sorry, settle. So all along, the approach I have taken with the Sermon on the Mount is to take Jesus at his word. I feel like oftentimes, some of the words of Jesus in the sermon, when they confront us or challenge us or seem impossible, we say, I get Jesus said this, but what he really meant was... And then we couch the words of Jesus into something that seems more palatable and plausible, into terms that can easily fit life as we know it. I get that Jesus said, be perfect as God is perfect, but what he really means is try your best. I get that Jesus said, love your enemies, but what he really means is be nice to people that annoy you. Rather than do that. What I've tried to do in these last few sermons is to let the words of Jesus really stand out, setting aside our ability to follow them, and try to imagine what it would look like for us to really try to do this. And I want to take the same approach this morning. Jesus begins by saying that we cannot serve two masters. And while this is the introduction to the bulk of our text this morning, I'm going to set that aside for the moment because I believe it's much more uh, fitting of the conclusion. So instead, I want to begin with what follows. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. On the surface, this seems like really good advice. Don't worry. God will take care of everything. And frankly, we could all stand to worry a little bit less. 
But this text seems to not grasp the full meaning of what Jesus is saying. You see, when a group of middle-class Americans read this text and think, you're right, Jesus, we shouldn't worry nearly as much as we do about the basic necessities of life, we miss the point a little bit. Our context as hearers of this is vastly different from that of the original hearers. Most of us will, for the most part, have a great deal of control over procuring the basic necessities of life. For most of us, worry over finances, worry over life, comes from wanting to be able to do all the things we want to do, rather than existential worries over how to provide for our basic needs. For most of us, the worries are more resource management than resource scarcity. But our context as hearers is unintelligible to those who would have sat upon the mount that day and listened to the first instance of this sermon. And our response, our application, might well be offensive to those who sat upon the hill at the foot of the teacher. Jesus was speaking to peasants, to rural poor, to the oppressed. Jesus was speaking to day laborers and backwater tradesmen. Jesus was speaking to people who had no idea where their next meal would come from. Jesus was speaking to people who lived hand to mouth, not in the way that we use the term, but literally money that came in their hands for a day's labor or from selling something went directly into food, directly into clothing, directly into providing for the immediate needs of their families. For them, worrying did not uh, for them, to not worry about food didn't involve a 0.1% catastrophic outcome at some point into the future. It involved one hour from now. And it is this context, it's this situation that is much more consistent with Jesus' allegories. Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap, and yet they eat. And then tells his listeners not to worry as a bird doesn't worry. Every day I leave for work and I say goodbye to Patrick who asks me where I'm going. And I say to work. And he says, why? <laughs> and oftentimes he'll keep asking why until we have arrived at the basic reason for why I have a job. To which I'll tell my son that he likes toys and he likes having food, and he likes the house, so daddy has to go to work. Don't worry, much later I'll explain to him things like calling and vocation, but for now, he's three. <laughs> I have a job. That's my plan for feeding my family. That's my preparation. Many of us feel the same way about our jobs. We work so that we can provide for our families and for ourselves. But Jesus said we should consider the birds of the air. They don't think like us. They don't think like that. They make no preparation for their food. They make no plans for eating. And yet they eat all the same. What would it look like to not work? To not have a plan for how we are to feed our families? To not have any idea where our next meal would come from, and yet to have full faith that we would eat. We'd be like your average teenager, but I digress. <laughs> In some respects, that's what Jesus is saying here. 
Now, if you're still on the fence about whether I'm hitting the mark in my read of Jesus' teachings, consider what he says about flowers. Jesus says that they don't labor or spin, but God has naturally made them beautiful. So we don't need to worry about what we are to wear because just as God has made the flowers naturally beautiful, God will make us naturally beautiful. And think about the clothing that Jesus is talking about that make flowers beautiful. Flowers are naked. They don't have clothing. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is saying that we should all walk around naked. But flowers do nothing to make themselves beautiful. And when Jesus is telling us to not worry about what we wear or what we eat, it's really clear to me that Jesus is saying we aren't to worry even if, and especially if, we have done nothing, done absolutely nothing to acquire food or clothing. I can't tell you how opposite this advice is from the advice I have been given by my parents and in-laws and mentors. What I hear is, Matt, you're young. Not as young as I used to be, but I suppose it's all relative. <coughs> Save everything you can, as much as you can, now. Start saving as early as you can. Diversify. Make sure you have retirement through your employer. Make sure you have an individual account through your employer. And make sure you have an individual account outside of your employer. Make sure you have life insurance. And whole life is better. Your child was just born yesterday. It's time to start saving for college. Have you seen what tuition costs are expected to do? You have to be ready, you have to be prepared, and you have to start now. Jesus is telling us not to prepare. Jesus is telling us not to do all the things that our parents tell us to do. Or if you're a parent, Jesus is telling us not to do the things that you would tell your kids. Which is crazy, right? I mean, how could Jesus be against good, solid, prudent advice? This just doesn't sound okay. And in reality, how can we not prepare? How can we not do all we can do to ensure that we will have something to eat? How could we just basically be freeloaders because that's what birds are and not contribute something to ensure our families are okay? It's at this point that I want to bring up the parts of the passage that we have up until now not dealt with. And then I can tell you why I gave you that quote at the beginning of the sermon that you've been thinking about this whole time. At the start of this text, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then at the end, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I'm convinced these two are connected. And I'm convinced they're intimately related to what comes in between. You can't serve both God and money. Because if you are worried about how to ensure that your meals will be steady, if you're worried about how you can have the best clothes, if you are constantly worried with how to keep up with technology, keep up with the Joneses, keep up with things, you can't seek God's kingdom first. Seeking the kingdom of God first means caring about the least of these more than it does myself. Seeking the kingdom of God first means caring about those who have nothing before I care about myself, 
having even a little bit more than I need. And when I say need, I mean what I need today. You can't seek the kingdom of God first and care about money. You just can't. Jesus tells us you can't serve God and money, and that's because Jesus knows what it means to serve God first. Jesus suffered and died because that's what it meant to inaugurate the kingdom of God. It's what it meant to renew and restore and heal the creation that feeds the birds and clothes the flowers. If you are seeking the kingdom of God first, then there is no one B. If you are serving God, there is no second priority. If Jesus is Lord, literally no one and nothing else is. I literally can't even. I have savings. I have retirement. I took that good, prudent advice. And in so doing, I worry about what I will eat both today and years into the future. I worry about what I'll wear both today and years into the future, even if it's just the same shirt over and over again in different colors. I'll worry about my family both now and years into the future. And because I do so, I know I'm not seeking God's kingdom first. I'm trying to serve two masters. The problem is both masters are all-consuming. I began the sermon with a quote that's always made me stop short. A quote that has always confronted me and challenged me. The single greatest cause of atheism in the world is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. And nowhere is the extent of that, nowhere is the score of that, nowhere is the depth of that quote made clear, clearer than in Jesus' words here. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You cannot serve two masters. We come in here. We come to church and say, yes, Jesus, we want to serve you. We want to serve your kingdom. We want to follow you. We want to seek ye first. And then we walk out the door and live exactly the same as everyone else. At this point, I can kind of guess what's happening in your mind right now. I can kind of guess what's happening in your gut right now. Because it was what was happening in my mind and my gut as I wrote this. It's this. Come on, Pastor Matt. I try my best. I try to live as a follower of Jesus. I try as best as I can to live differently, to live the life that Jesus would want me to live. But if I don't save a little bit, if I don't work to make sure my family has food, then what will happen to me and what will happen to my family? And I get that. I really do. It's where I am. It's where, it's where we are. but a thought experiment, if you will. If all of us, if a small group of people devoted their lives to God's kingdom, a kingdom in which everyone had enough to eat, then we wouldn't have to worry about where our next meal would come from. Those working for the kingdom would see to it that we were fed. If we devoted our lives to God's kingdom, a kingdom in which everyone is clothed and has shelter, and has their basic needs met, we wouldn't have to worry about our basic needs. Those working for the kingdom would see to it that we are clothed and have shelter and have our basic needs. We wouldn't need to worry about everything because we would be working for and living in a kingdom of God where God would give us everything we needed. 
Now, that doesn't mean we wouldn't have jobs. That doesn't mean we'd remove ourselves from society and become mooches. But it would mean that we didn't take jobs simply because we needed money. It would mean that we base our jobs, we'd base our vocational choices, not on what salary, benefits, and compensation they offer, but on how they contribute to furthering the kingdom of God in our midst. It wouldn't mean that we would be frivolous and a spendthrift. It would mean that we gave our all to things that further God's kingdom. I think there are two basic errors that come in interpreting this text. The first is what I highlighted at the start, that we water down Jesus' words so they fit into our middle-class anxieties. The second is that we turn it into a formula that says, if you have faith, God will make you rich. Don't worry about savings or retirement. God will ensure that you're successful. That turns Jesus' teachings on being part of a communal movement into a deeply individual distortion. Those who are serving God fully, those who are seeking God's kingdom first, those who renounce the selfish drive for wealth, they are the ones whom God will take care of. They are the ones that have no need to worry. So what are we to do with this? What are we to do in response to this challenging text? I know for me this text will induce some painful pondering. Because on some level, this text confronts us with a simple choice. If Jesus is Lord, then nothing else is. If God is God, then wealth is not. And we have to choose. We can't serve two masters. We can't seek God's kingdom second. We can't be about following Christ just as soon as we get some other things taken care of. Jesus paints this as an all-or-nothing choice, and what am I to do if I'm not willing to choose all? But I believe we can do this. I believe we can confess our inability to give all, our inability to not strive for a little bit of wealth, safety, and security for ourselves and for our family. I believe we can ask God for grace to cover our weaknesses, and to transform us to be people who can one day seek God's kingdom first. I believe we can do that, and I believe in the meantime, we can make small steps of faith that will be first fruits of a greater transformation. Can we give something up? Like a daily trip to Starbucks, or a weeknight dinner out, or can we bring our lunch from home? in order to give a little bit more? Can we clip coupons or buy some of those generic brands? Or have slightly slower internet speed? As all the teens in the room say no. In order to give a little bit more? Can we find ways to save a little bit more and in turn give a little bit more to a church that transforms lives and helps people encounter Jesus? or to other nonprofits in our area that seek to build God's kingdom like Acts or like Streetlight? Can we take a small step? And can we keep taking small steps to show that we are becoming more and more concerned about God's kingdom and less and less concerned about ourselves? And can we let God give us grace as we make those small steps 
so that we can journey with God into the fullness of his kingdom. Let's pray. Almighty and all-loving God, we want to seek your kingdom first. We want to see your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We want to serve you and follow you as our Lord. But so often, God, it seems as if we live in a world of scarcity. A world where some people have and some people don't have. And out of love, we want our families and our friends to be a part of those that have. God, forgive our lack of faith. Forgive our divided loyalties. Forgive us when you call us to be all in. And yet, and, and, and we stumble forward conflicted. Give us grace to take small steps of faith to journey a little closer with you. Give us grace so that as we do, we can not worry. We can trust in you. Help us, God. Help us to be people who live differently enough that we are a witness to the building of your kingdom in our midst. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When we are faced with challenging teachings, when we are faced with challenging pieces of scripture, I think it appropriate to go to the table. Jesus was asked to give his all, and he did. He suffered death, even death on a cross, in order to bring us back into God's love. And we are reminded that Jesus gave his all. But we are also reminded that on the third day, God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So that as we take small steps, as we take on greater sacrifice, we come to the table and experience the fullness of Christ's resurrection in order to give us a little bit of faith that we will be okay. And so we unite our offerings with Jesus. We unite our offerings with the offering that Christ made. Offerings of time, offerings of prayer, and offerings of our talents and our treasures. So that, by God's Spirit, our offerings, our lives, can be something beautiful and powerful and be used in the service of God and his kingdom. Let us pray.
Almighty and all-loving God, creator of all that there is. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. 